1: up hope everyone is doing all right it's your boy doc coil the x-man i'll be your host this evening yeah uh fortunately, we have a an appearance here by shot coil not doc coil i'd want this thing happens to me every, every now and again where i'm getting tired and i'm all right should, you know shut everything down go to sleep and i, I fall asleep momentarily and then I, like, wake up, like, out of nowhere, and then I try to go back to sleep, and I can't. <laughs> so I was up to like, 7 in the morning, and then woke up, and then basically today I've been just a zombie. i kind of useless. And the funny thing is, like, when I can't fall asleep, my brain just is firing on all cinders, cylinders. I had all these ideas about what I was going to talk about in the middle of the night. And, of course, I didn't, I didn't write them down. So now it's kind of, I'm left with this thing like, what, what do I even talk about right now? I don't know. I have I have a lot of intersecting things kind of existing in my head. I guess, I guess the main thing that was kind of bur- burrowing through my brain during my fit of insomnia is this need in my life to, I don't know, uh, hone in on get back to... An idea of authenticity and honesty in, in my art and, and even, you know, and I consider this to some degree, maybe it's not art, it's expression, I guess. Uh, and it's something I had a real keen ear for and eye for when, you know, when I started this show and when I was writing, I think it was something people really, you know, felt connected to and something I want to get back to. I was like, you know what? I should start writing more. And I think the events, you know, with bad wolves in the last six months or so t- to some degree have been kind of, uh, it's it just been traumatic that it's made me want to be this almost non, uh, confrontational person in in online spaces. But I don't know if that's necessarily helpful either. Like I've, I find myself editing what I say more and not wanting to kind of stir, stir the pot. Um, like I watched this New York times mini documentary they did on the January 6th attack on the Capitol and my instinct is, Hey, I should post this, man. This is really, I feel like it's like almost required viewing. It was, I thought it was that, um, troubling and informative but even something like that like people can't absorb things outside of uh this this political lens and uh things just can't be taken as 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 they are and i I don't know i just see i see these these harsh lines driven i don't know it's a very it's a very tough time it's very very and uh but i mean i said like this weekend i I went out a, a few times and was like Probably the first time I felt oh, this is what I used to do go out go to a party go to a get together it was it was nice it it was nice, but it's interesting because i you know I said this before on the show uh but I haven't talked about it a lot lately is that the time we spent at home during during the pandemic and away from ever, ever, everyone was this kind of period of radicalization, right? Everyone went burrowed into these holes and kind of came back different people. Um to whatever degree that is. And and we like there was this one thing about some study or poll about that I guess Republicans I 50% of Republicans have friends who are Democrats, but only like 30% of Democrats have friends that are Republicans. Some insane number, uh, some difference. Uh and it's that's actually not, not too surprising. But I don't know. Again, I didn't really know what I was gonna talk about today. <laughs> so I'm just kinda going going where the where the brain goes. But I don't know. It's just certain things like I, I like they 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 would always say, Hey, don't speak about politics or religion in a bar right it was the idea that these topics are a little too people get a little too heated and for me i always thought that's kind of the most fun stuff to talk about right it's the most interesting things talk about the nature of our existence or morality right i mean i think that's what a lot of those those things kind of kind of boil down to but we're all given these scripts by our media diet, right? The people usually, when, when people um, say a feeling about a particular idea or issue, in a sense, it's not really their idea, it's they're parroting something else they learned, right? Like, there's this big thing going on right now with uh critical race theory, right? Um, uh, people want to people on the right want to sh- want to shut it down and all these these areas uh and you know usually when you hear about an idea only from the people who are against the idea you're not really going to get a great representation of it and i still probably don't have a great handle on it right now and what i've heard about it uh to the best of my knowledge it's probably not something at its core i would be totally on board with a lot of its tenets are not things I personally agree with as someone who thinks a lot about issues of race but what it kind of reminds me of is it's interesting because the people that want to stop it are also the freedom of speech people or the freedom people right the idea that the ideas are being shut down well you're not getting diversity of ideas and so really what it's about is kind of different sectors of the country, the more they extreme they get in one direction, all they really want, everyone wants to have their domain to kind of enforce their own indoctrination. Right. So if you go to some school in Texas somewhere, they'll they'll tell you that the Civil War was about states' rights or they'll underplay all these all these things. And I don't know, it just got me thinking a lot about the Fourth of July and Independence Day. And how there's this very distinct performative approach to the to, especially in, in in social media now, because it's not like you know, before social media and there was a holiday, you kind of just did your thing, right? You spent it with your friends or family, whatever, you just experienced it that way. And now I'm kind of just out on the idea of most holidays, <laughs> uh, in terms of being outwardly vocal about it in, in online spaces, because I feel it's mostly performative. It's mostly, you know, there's a a term that gets overutilized, which is, uh, virtue signaling, but people virtue signal every day, all day. It's just different people have different virtues. So it just signals differently in, in certain ways. And I think there's a very binary way for, with that holiday in particular where, and I think it, listen, I think it gets at, at the core of psychologically why certain people tend to lean one way politically or the other, where I think one mindset is to essentially have a very, in my opinion, unrealistic view of, of the history of the country and a very rosy, very, uh, myth-making type of idea that we want, want to feel good about where we're at and that we're, we're in the best place. And, uh, and the opposite view is the opposite. It's that, well, this is the worst place ever. And it's our, our history is the one key theme is the, uh, the horrors of it and the inequality and the injustices, and it's probably all of that. And that I, that I think like one of the key components to being. A partisan person who like sees I'm a left wing person. I'm a right wing person It's really just what you focus on. It's a matter of focus. I'm going to only focus on the shit that supports my argument. And I'm going to ignore all the shit that doesn't help my argument. i just think it's a really fucking stupid way to look at the world. Is that usually things are a lot more complex than that. But what happens? People get wrapped up in this, this rah-rah version of things. Uh and it's you know, destroying our ability to see where other people are coming from, to understand that shit ain't that simple. Um, I don't know. And it makes it less fucking fun to talk about this stuff. It's not not that fun. Uh not that, you know, fun is supposed to be the, the main the main part of it, but it, it should be about figuring out how we're going to move forward. Like I was, I was having a discussion with someone over the weekend who's younger. So they come, you know, you know, I think this is definitely a generational thing about how people see issues of race, for example. And I was just explaining to him, like, listen, if you're on one side, which is like, Hey, white people need to get their shit together. And I'm sick of explaining them. I like this. I'm like, I get that. But guilt will only work so far. Telling people they're a piece of shit just for existing is only going to get you so far. At some point, you got to approach people with a little bit of, you know, carrot and not the fucking stick. Um, and, and the people come from, from the other side, you also got to go, okay, they have a point as well. And I don't know, it's just a lot of people not listening to each other. A lot of people not paying attention to each other. And again, if you go on that, if people you disagree with, you regard as either crazy or evil, there's no discussion. There's only physical violence. And I I really fear things will go that direction more so, especially after watching that fucking Capitol riot video. Jesus Christ, that shit's crazy. I recommend everyone watch it. It's on New York Times, about 40 minutes long. Uh, It's a fascinating thing. All right. I think I've... I've gone on quite, uh, quite, quite a lot (laughs) again. I didn't know I was going to talk about, I hope I made some relevant points. Maybe it was a little rambling. And for that, I, I, I apologize. I'm I'm just getting my face right, right now. Uh, anyway, we do have a sponsor this week. Very exciting. We have a solo artist from solo independent artists from Western Australia. This artist is called Von Sprigen, or just Von Spriggen, and we're going to play a track entitled The Sect. So that was Von Spriggan with the track The Sect, which is a brand new single from the debut album entitled Fuck Perfect, very cool, On available right now on all streaming platforms. And this gentleman, I don't know if he wanted me to mention his actual name, maybe it's like a secret, so I'm just going to, I'm not going to mention his real name, so I'm just going to put Von Spriggan, that's what you call him. He played all the instruments, programmed all the drums and the keyboards, mixed it, mastered it did the artwork film clips this guy is working very very hard uh he also is on twitch actually and he goes live every saturday at 8 p.m awst i'm australia time baby it's uh and pretty much all the social media for von spriggan is you know instagram twitter and then backslash von spriggan and it's v-o-n Spriggan. It's two separate words, you know, when you're looking up on Spotify and all that. But for all the socials, it's just all together, except for Facebook, which is Von dot Spriggan. So please go over there, download some music. It's cool. It's kind of like reminds me of of that like industrial stuff of like the late '90s, very kind of avant garde and and moody, and giving you a lot of different vibes. I, I was. I was digging it. So check them out. Uh let them know Doc Coyle and the X Man sent you. if you want to sponsor an episode, just you know, shoot me an email at the X-Man podcast at gmail.com. That's EX. Or just drop in the DMs and we'll we'll figure it all out. Alrighty then, we have an excellent show for you. This is actually, I have to say, you know, just a a feel good conversation for me, me personally. Uh, we have Matt Wicklin who was the the only member of 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 god forbid that wasn't part of the original five so it's it makes him a very uh important figure and and you know i was really used to be you know when matt joined the band we were really close and it was just really wonderful to kind of talk about that stuff and and relive it and uh yeah and matt's just a a really really good guy and a talented musician and so i'm glad now so now every every god forbid member will have had some appearance on the show, so, but I, I think you guys are really gonna enjoy this. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I got to say. Anyway, check out this incredible conversation with the awesome Matthew Wickland. Hey, brother, man, it's it's been too long. You know, I agree. You're in long time. Sofia, Bulgaria, correct? That's right. How, That's so funny. how long have you been there?
2: Uh, well, I started coming here five years ago, but I, I was traveling back and forth between Seattle and here every two months. Wow. I would, I would just like max out my uh, my visa or whatever. You know, we, have, we got 90 days for, like, as an American, or I think it's anybody traveling into certain zones in europe or whatever there's like this travel visa kind of thing so i'd max it out and I'd come back and so did that how, for a while
1: how's your bulgarian
2: mm, dobre dobre no go dobre
1: it's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah 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 we god forbid played there with machine head back in like oh oh four I just remember it was cold. That's, all, that's the only memory I have. Yeah, it, it
2: goes two ways here. Super cold, like Siberian winds cold or, or hot. Like it, I think it either blows in from Siberia in the winter or, or from the Middle East in the, yeah. <laughs> in the summer. It's, it, like right now, it's like 100 degrees.
1: Yeah. 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 Right. Wow. Okay. Well, people don't be known about them 100, 100 degree ba- Bulgarian summers, but, you know, global warming. So what are you going to do?
2: Yeah, it was like 113 in Portland, Oregon a few days ago.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's crazy.
1: Hey, man, it's just, since we're all here, still 75 in in Long Beach, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but L.A. is blessed this way. Yeah. It's, one, it's one season, it's just like a perpetual perfect summer, right? It's,
1: <laughs> my, my girlfriend's trying to, trying to move to Nashville, I'm like, it's hard to leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, Nashville's cool. I like it.
1: Yeah, no, Nashville is cool. All right, brother. Well, listen, I, I just want to thank you for being a guest on the show. This is another one of those, you know, it was just a matter of when. Right, right. You know, just you know, it, you're the last, God forbid, member to to be on the show. But yeah,
2: well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course,
1: sure, of course. And you have quite a story quite a uh, journey you know yeah i mean i'm trying to like when did we first meet it was oh, alley, wow. alley, right like when you were
2: when i was living there pr- probably like 2005 yeah four or five yeah a while ago
1: something like it but so you're you're from seattle yeah yeah that's right mm-hmm. and uh you know i guess when we met you were either in hymns or you had just left or some somewhere around
2: that time. yeah yeah it was during that period i may have still been in the band but it was at the end of
1: my uh yeah my Hims at times yeah what was uh like what was the vibe you coming up as just a a metalhead in in seattle what was what, what was going on what was in the water post grunge <laughs> uh
2: wow um trying to remember so long ago you know yeah. um well i i wasn't initially into metal I, I was into these bands i don't even know how you classify them like like sunny day real estate and
1: emo emo post hardcore
2: yeah yeah and and i was into grunge too and i don't know just all sorts of stuff but then in high school i i made friends with all the metal heads and they needed a guitar player so you know, at like 16 years old, I started playing, I think just because I wanted to play guitar and I didn't really care what kind of band it was, but, um, but they were serious death metal guys, you know, like the long sleeves of the graphics and all, all that stuff. And I, I just kind of joined them and morphed into a metal head. And now it's like 30 years later, <laughs> and I'm still, still doing it. It was meant to be, I guess, but so, somewhere I think it was around the year 2000 I met the the guys in um, Nevermore and um, that that changed a lot for me because I think that that level of musicianship and also it was really melodic which is something I always liked so it like really spoke to me and and also these guys were like the coolest looking dudes ever. Like they had, you know, leather pants and, <laughs> you know, they, they had all of it, hair down to the ground. They looked larger than life. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, I, I want to hang with
1: these guys. And I did. I definitely have to say they're one of the bands where not like, not only did they, because you, you, you're that thing where a band, you hear a band because, you know, back in mm-hmm. the, you know, it wasn't this was i guess in the dark years when there wasn't headbangers ball right yeah these bands you would hear them but you wouldn't see them or i remember central media and nuclear blasted the that they would do those uh compilation yeah yeah sometimes mm-hmm. just, but not only did they look exactly how they sounded they also had in my opinion some of the best names Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dane is not a, that's a pirate's name. Okay. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They they had it all.
1: That's a swashbuckler name. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) Warl Dane. Yeah. It it sounds just rich and powerful and regal even.
1: I know where. So did, were you a fan of the music before you met them?
2: Yes. Yes, I was. Uh, just, yeah, I've been listening maybe a year or something. It, it actually took a moment for me to totally get it because it was so. I don't know. Like, it, it, I don't know how to explain it. You'd probably probably understand though. Like, it's really extreme in like many different ways, right? It's the vocals were quite extreme, like not like Rob Halford extreme, but like you know, really wide vibrato, really. Uh, dramatic yeah yeah really so i was it was just a lot to take in i'm like whoa but i knew it was cool and then once i got it i i, I
1: really got it well to me they're very much like megadeth mm-hmm. where the thing that makes the vocals so unique is also the same thing that turns off certain yeah people. But
2: yeah so yes
1: either you kind of connect to the frequency or you don't yep but yeah, I I understand what you mean about kind of adapting to it because to me they were musically more like a an arch enemy, or even some some parts I remember like you know on Dreaming Neon Black or and stuff where like you're like I'm mm-hmm. at, I was like I'm like Pantera would play a riff like this
2: right y- Yeah 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 Jeff could he could write like the best thrash riffs and then. Right. Perfect chord progressions for like beautiful melodic passages. And then he bust into a solo section that would sound like a classical composition or something. It's like, like what's happening?
1: <laughs> this is amazing. He's a genius. It's just the bottom line, you know? Yeah. So clearly that had a, a big impact on you, but previous to that, were you, you know, cause you're someone that when, you know, we were playing together. You helped me a lot with um, theory and kind of expanding on some of that stuff, were you, mm-hmm. were you like ever getting lessons and learning theory or is This stuff that you kind of had uh, taught yourself.
2: Uh, it was both. I, I was studying music theory in college because I, I was super obsessed with uh, classical music, and specifically like uh, Beethoven. I was just obsessed with Beethoven, and for a while, I wanted to be somehow wanted to be a a classical composer you know I, I didn't know I wasn't sure how that would fit in in a modern world probably film composition or so, something like this <clears throat> so uh, yeah I, I had a real interest in the theory and then I dropped out of college actually to join HIMSA and uh, then I just continued to study on my own
1: yeah yeah so what was your kind of interaction with with that scene because HIMSA even though I think, you know, in a vacuum, they had a very kind of traditional metal sound, thrash metal sound, like very, to me, they were, Himzo was the American haunted, you know?
2: Yeah, I could, yeah, I could see that.
1: And mm-hmm. kind of like the raw sense of, 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 of what that, that represented, mm-hmm. um, but they were steeped in this, you know, hardcore slash punk slash metalcore scene. Yeah. Uh, being that you, you know, kind of came from this death metal background and were into, really into bands like Nevermore, were you like aware of that scene before Himza? Were you going to those types of shows?
2: Yeah, there was a period where I was super into uh, hardcore, like a lot of the bands on on Victory Records, like Bloodlet, and uh, I'm trying to remember them all now. Uh, Earth Crisis. Snapcase. snap i loved Snapcase. so yeah i i was into that stuff and then john pettibone the vocalist from him so he was um he was in a pretty popular kind of underground uh uh hardcore band called undertow and they would play around seattle and i think the energy that he he brought personally and then also just the this, this scene at the time and botch they were from seattle doing this you go to a show people are flipping off the off everything and it was kind of exciting as a teenager going like wow you know this is, this is interesting so yeah i was into it it wasn't really it was part of me but it wasn't my main interest but then when i was asked to, to join him so i was I was like, they, they kind of sound more like a thrash metal band than they do a hardcore band. So I don't know. I just went with it. It was interesting. It was fun. And, and the shows were out of control in, in Seattle, especially. Everything was sold out. People, like I said, flipping off of it, everything. And, uh, so, yeah, I'm like, okay, I can do this.
1: Well, I mean, if you listen to music, especially, you know, the stuff I saw you play was that one concert, uh, DVD, DVD,
2: uh, oh yeah, uh, you've seen too much. I think yeah. it's called. Yeah,
1: and you know, one thing I noticed about it is, guitar-wise, the stuff was pretty intricate. You know, even, yeah, even though it was energy and people were kind of, kind of, kind of fr- freaking out. So yeah, I mean, him's always struck me as, in many ways, more in that, almost like Black Dahlia Murder vibe that hardcore kids liked it and they were part of it, but at, there wasn't to me much. Core in the music, maybe outside of John's vocals, because that was the only yeah, thing that tethered yeah, it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think you're right. I think we we tricked them all. <laughs> <laughs> we did, and they, they loved it. And uh, yeah, and then eventually, I think half the band had super long hair, and we were doing windmills, and you know, like we're acting like a a, a real metal band. Really.
1: Did you ever get to do any writing with the band?
2: Yeah, I co-wrote. The uh, the last record, Hail Horror.
1: Okay. Well, no, they yeah. had one record after that. Uh...
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, yeah, yeah. I, that's right. They did have one more. This is correct. That is true. And we we recorded that in Aarhus, Denmark, with uh, two Madsen, and we chose him because he was had produced The Haunted. Yeah. So you kind of called it out. There was the connection between what we wanted and kind of like what the haunted was doing we wanted that that rawness that uh yeah, yeah that that vibe if you will
1: was that record on prosthetic Yeah. Uh, yes okay so this is kind of i guess your first real band i guess professional band ex- experience up to that point yeah
2: yeah yeah my first signed band with a, a touring schedule and music videos and it was like a perfect time for that too because that's when headbangers ball returned so there was a big the push for bands uh metal bands like ours and and yours to to start making videos and we got to see ourselves on mtv and you know was like
1: wow (laughs) dream come true (laughs) what was your vibe with touring full-time Was it something you you took a liking to or was it was it
2: weird was it Oh, no, I, I loved it because uh, just part of who I am, I love to travel. I love to see new things, and, and I'm okay. Well, not so much anymore. I'm getting older, but I was okay with sleeping on the floor. Okay, <laughs> no problem. You know, <laughs> sleep in a van for f- four months. Okay. <laughs> do I get to go somewhere new? You know, but, n- yeah, now uh, uh, I cherish my comforts a little bit more. You know. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit more.
1: Well, you, you're like me. You have you have back problems too, right?
2: Hell yeah, I did. <laughs> Awful. All screwed up everywhere. <laughs> I think it's, I know a lot of guitar players with back problems. Yeah. It's probably from sitting weird with weight on your shoulder for, for 20 years. You know, I think
1: well, you that'll, did, that'll I think have having worse because bass is way even more. Unless you got an old Les Paul or something.
2: Hmm. Good point. Yeah. That is a good point. Maybe that's something to do with how they stretch their arms have to stretch out wider. I don't know. I don't know. But guitar, guitar players are always all jacked up. (laughs) I
1: got, I got it all neck, wrist, back. Oh boy. It's, it's all, it's all amazing. But, uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but yeah, listen, I, hell horror, man. I, I really dig that record and it was a band. I kind of was disappointed. I, you know, we didn't, we never got to tour with. We did. We would do like one-offs here mm-hmm. with, with the band. But I was I was always a fan, um and you know it was just something that that stuck with me. But you know you didn't you didn't last too long in the band. Why did you end up uh splitting up with those with those guys?
2: Oh boy, <clears throat> let's see. Rewind as <laughs> as uh, as Warrel Dane used to say. Uh, got to take a trip trip in the Wayback machine.
1: Yeah, that's what like this a- is about, baby.
2: I gotta think about that for a minute. Um,
1: Find the music.
2: Oh, I know why. I remember now. I uh, I got into a very toxic relationship with a very interesting woman, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and I was too young and naive to understand what was going on. And there was a bit of an excitement there. I don't. Well, now I don't think it's that exciting, but I did at the time. She was kind of famous i guess you could say and
1: um do we do, do we not want to mention her name we don't want to go down that yeah route.
2: i don't think i want to go down that 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 path okay. i might i might lose my mind yeah, yeah.
1: okay even though
2: but, you know be good for the podcast i'm sure you got stored <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i mean i could go on for hours okay
1: what okay. was well, without saying the name he was married to a porn star um of some prominence mm-hmm. and, uh you know and existed in all the machinations and lifestyle components i guess that come along with that yeah
2: that's a good way to put it and yeah it wasn't uh wasn't very healthy for for me mentally i I don't think you know it screwed me up it honestly did um you know i I made some good friends out of it and it's i don't think anything's completely all bad in life usually not you know i don't know but the, the real relationship itself is what caused me to leave uh, well, the band which i regret now it was
1: stupid was that pressure from her or were you just so caught up in that flurry of emotions that you just forgot? um
2: it, well it, the, the way i remember it, it's probably a little bit of both yeah yeah
1: well you yeah. so, but i listen someone who who knows you pretty well um, mm-hmm. you know being that we were in the band, but we were very close, you know, Yeah, we were, we were in the band and, and, uh, you know, you're someone I would regard as kind of a hopeless romantic. That's oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you're someone that kind of, you go where your heart takes you. And, and so, mm-hmm. you know, not, not having been friends with you at, at the time, it, it does seem to be emblematic though, of kind of maybe a pattern of, of you like, you feel something, and you just kind of go go for yeah. it. Go yeah, big, yeah, go big. Yeah, yeah, go big.
2: I go big. Look, look at me. I'm, I'm in Sofia, Bulgaria. That's that's a big jump to make, <laughs> and it's for a similar reason. You know? Yeah. But but now I have a, a two year old son out of the whole thing, and and it's great. And actually, I love it here. And it all turned out quite quite nice. So, wow. But I always yeah I do I follow I follow my heart. Yeah, that, that's uh, it.
1: But so, <clears throat> so, during that time, though, you were. You moved to LA.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I lived in a few place, uh, two places: uh, uh, Mer- Marina Del Rey, and then after that, uh, West Hollywood, R- really close to Lemmy, actually.
1: Oh, so and you yep. got you got to do the LA rock and roll thing for a minute.
2: Yeah, and I'm not going to lie, I, I enjoyed it. There, there were certain things about it that were uh, that were fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's always something to do. There's always music to, you know, and interesting people to meet. And it was, in some ways, it was almost too much. Yeah. It like, li- especially living in West
1: Hollywood. Well, that there's was like too much to do. That was yeah. also the peak. I feel like of n- not the peak in terms of you know the '80s and all that, but mm-hmm. at least for the last you know 15 years or so, and and just people I know in LA, and they talk about that period you know kind of the 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 aughts the 2000s you know kind of into 2000 yeah like kind of popping you had that's when steel panther was coming up and doing that's right and there was just a lot of excitement and things going on within the culture
2: yeah that's and that's when five finger death punch started playing on the strip uh two yeah early 2000s i remember yeah there was a lot going on for for sure and yeah and like i said lammy when he was he was living there and you know he i'd see him at the bar every night so cool a lot, a lot of cool things to remember actually
1: yeah so how how did uh that relationship kind of break down
2: oh my goodness
1: <laughs> i mean you don't have to tell the harry
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it just got it was just out of control like uh the, the just uh, just imagine that the worst like most toxic sort of formula for a relationship and it, like multi multiplied by several times. It was just insane, you know like and I was kind of a quiet guy a quiet guy from Seattle moves down into this this complete opposite kind of uh, everything.
1: You were kind of yeah. going on a, a ride to some degree. Yeah,
2: it was it was a ride I wasn't ready for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, did, did you feel that you were, I mean, I guess pretty young, maybe a bit naive to just how it would all unfold, I guess?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for, for sure. That's a good way to put it. But I, I learned a lot, you know, I, I guess I grew through the experience and it's all good. Yeah, I made it out the other side, so
1: it's cool. Were you while you were in LA did you pursue music at all or were you working on any projects or anything?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I started a band with a couple of the couple of guys from Cradle of Filth, actually, uh, Adrian Erlinson on drums and Martin Powell. He was also in My Dying Bride. He was a violinist for My Dying Bride and then a keyboard player from Cradle of Filth. Himsa did a tour with, you know, you know, Martin Powell, right? Yeah. He's a funny dude. He's great. And he's very talented, but on tour with, when Himsa did a tour with Arch Enemy and uh, Headbangers Ball Tour, Arch Enemy Bleeding Through and Cradle of Filth, I became really close with uh, most of those guys. And, um, yeah. Martin ended up, I think he ended up quitting cradle, uh, stayed in touch with Adrian and we just said, Hey, let's put a project together. So we wrote a bunch of songs and, uh, I have a demo somewhere. Oh, and we got the vocalist, his name's Ben for uh, Benjamin from a band called Cybreed hmm. in uh, Switzerland. Super cool band. Yeah. We, yeah, we had something really cool happening, but then it's, uh, it was really difficult cause I had guys in London you know, a guy in Switzerland. Uh, I was flying between New York and L.A. all the time. I, it just was crazy. Actually, Tim Young ended up playing drums on our demo because Adrian was busy. I got to find this recording. I have it somewhere. Somewhere.
1: Yeah. So you, you were trying to do the global band thing before the Internet was. And, and home. Yeah.
2: And- yeah, I jumped. I jumped the gun on that one because I'm doing it now and it works fine. Yeah. Well, yeah, listen,
1: but- it's never been easier. Yeah, now it's just kind of normal. Yeah, I guess it's 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 pretty crazy. So, but around this time too, you also started doing some stuff with world Dane for his solo album, right? Yeah, that's correct. I think it was
2: two thousand six or seven. I think it was released two thousand seven, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah. So, well, so how did that come about?
2: Uh, well, it. I stayed in touch with Warrel for forever like we were always calling each other and, and he was a very social guy always calling all his friends and especially like when, when he could do it on video like he, I think he spent half the day calling everybody he knew it, it was fun so he said hey I'm uh, you know I'm doing a solo record and he just straight uh, asked me and he's like do you, do you want to be a part of it it's me and Peter Witchers and uh, from Soilwork and Dirk Viburin Bib- from Soilwork who's now in Megadeth uh, he's like you want to write half of it Peter writes the other half Peter produces I, I said yeah of course it would be a, a huge honor you know so uh, so yeah I just started writing like he he was responsible for getting me kind of back into the, the scene back into writing back into playing more uh, yeah he when I was starting to get lost he, he pulled me out of the water if, he, if that makes any sense
1: no, that's that's uh, listen, mm-hmm. and and just even you talk about this stuff just makes me miss miss the guy so much, and it's
2: oh yeah, yeah, he was he was special, super unique human being, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: no, no, no doubt. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about you know your your songwriting at this point because you mm-hmm. you're, you're someone you know, and I I learned to kind of get a really great understanding of this when you were in God forbid is just you know you really kind of go in depth in terms of developing your own material from the ground up and really kind of Mm -hmm. seeing things through uh, compositionally. I mean, what, what's kind of like the thought process, but behind that, like, was that something you had been doing for years and years or you just kind of grew into that as like someone who wasn't in a band at this point, who just had almost without a choice had to just develop your own material?
2: uh it's something that I've, I've done for a long time uh, yeah like I, I feel like i really started getting uh, maybe good at composition when i was 8 18 19 i was in 8 19 i was in college studying classical music and it, it just really i just got really inspired by, by uh analyzing composition learning theory seeing how all the pieces fit together and um Oh, yeah, I really, I like really got deep into it. Like I, I discovered a real deep passion for, for composition, and then I, of course through practice, every day, all day for years, you just start to get get the hang of it, I guess. So, yeah, I don't know if it's a hundred percent natural. There is some natural ability I have, I'm sure, like something, but I really like I, I nurtured it.
1: But are you the kind of so are you the type of person where you sit down and you just kind of riff and just when something pops, you hone in on it? Or are you someone who like thinks about ideas and then kind of tries to manifest the ideas that are in your head?
2: That Yeah. The, the second way I hear it first. Uh, and then, yeah, that I've been doing it that way for a long time. And then eventually I was able to hear it pre- pretty but, but pretty detailed way with multiple layers and things, harmonies, and, um, I multiple sections, counterpoint, like I could start hearing it all before I even touched an instrument. And sometimes I'd panic because it would get really complicated. And I'd be like, wait, this is working. You know, this is good. I gotta like, ah, I gotta run to a piano or something and start like recording this or, or uh, humming melodies into uh, my phone or, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating when you, you know, and then you get distracted. You just had something beautiful in your mind and it's, it's,
1: it's gone. Thank, thank God, for the, uh, Apple, uh, the, the, the notes, the little microphone thing. Oh, uh,
2: I still use it. I just still use it all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, were you, were you happy? I mean, actually, I guess it must've been to some degree, like a dream come true to hear your music with w- world's voice, right?
2: It, well, yes, it, it was for sure. Although I wanted to go a certain direction and I came in after they already started and I didn't really know exactly the direction Peter had been going. Um, so I, we had to change some stuff a bit to kind of make it fit with what Peter had already uh, started doing. In what way? The, the things I, w- I was making were too complicated
1: gotcha
2: we had to like uh, i had string sections and uh, piano parts and all sorts of things and all these songs and peter wanted it to be more straight more uh, kind of more rock so in the studio we ended up stripping out all the in my opinion all the cool stuff (laughs) so that was that was a little bit disappointing but at the end of the day i I, i'm still proud of it I, i still like it it's a yeah yeah it's good i w- I do wish it could have been a little different but but that's okay. it is what it is
1: yeah listen but it listen I think it's um a big feather in your cap and and I'm sure for at least people behind the scenes and people who you know people like myself or aR people or other bands all of a sudden go, okay, this guy has a skill set uh, that had a, a pretty good uh, platform you know people could
2: yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah de- definitely. It was good in in, in every way uh, for me. People still, I I still see people come up to me and they want me to sign the, you know, the 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 record. Or there there's people that really liked it. And don't get me wrong, I think what Peter did was amazing, and he's a great songwriter and producer. It's actually one of my favorite songwriters in in heavy metal for sure. Um, I guess I wish there was more, maybe. Communication beforehand. If I would have known the direction better, I could have tailored my writing better to to it. But I, I think it still worked out. Yeah.
1: Yo, Peter, I want I want my string sections back. <laughs> I want my strings. Yeah. My piano nah. back. We're doing the remix, all right? With <laughs> remix with the probably fun.
2: <laughs> uh, that, that would actually be fun.
1: So I guess you know, not too long after this a year or two after this is when our our paths cross and yep so the way you know i guess the discussion started for for you to be playing with with God forbid really happened when you know Dallas had quit at the beginning of this tour mm-hmm. that starting with Lamb of God and Asyle dying and Children of Bodom giant tour and we had gotten Chris Norris to fill in like ver- i mean literally within days of, yep this tour start starting luckily it was a short set i think we were doing five or six songs uh and he did he he, he, he did a good job but we were you know looking for something a little more long term and yep. played the venue in seattle i'm forgetting the name of the big, uh that was paramount, the Par- paramount theater yeah so i just saw you there and we started talking and you know just yep. and, you know and and me thinking about okay down the line and just knowing your background because i think with god forbid you know you know guitar wise it's not an easy gig Mm -mm. it's rhythmically taxing and precise a lot of detail to the oh yeah thing uh but i also wanted someone who could play lead guitar someone who could write as Mm -hmm. as i knew stylistically that you could you would get it right what the kind of the what the band was um so yeah so i don't i don't even remember how the the discussion started because i think we had we had this other guy that maybe was going to do something and i remember we like i don't know if it was like a audition or something there was some something where i was like it just like he just didn't really have the chops really the rhythm chops really yeah really pull it off and then I guess we, we got in touch with you and you kind of came in for the rest of the album cycle.
2: Yeah, yeah. We talked in the dressing room at the, at the Paramount. You, you, I think you just kind of brought up the idea like, hey, would you, this be of interest to you, kind of thing? And I was, I was like, yes. It was like exactly what I was looking for. And so, yeah, then we, we just kept in touch about it. And then I started, I just started learning everything.
1: Yeah, it was uh, a European tour. I think it was your yes.
2: Name. Yeah, yeah. It was straight from straight from not doing much for a while to download. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's how that happened.
1: I'll tell you what, though, like, there's like some videos circulating. I think once from like with full force or so something. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty tight.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes I, I get bored, but you know, in the middle of the night, and I start searching around for videos. Crack open a. Be a crack open a beer like Pirinsko from the Pirin Mountains.
1: Oh yeah, Pirinsko, my favorite.
2: That's good, man. And I, yeah, I kick back and I listen to this stuff, and and I think I'm like, yeah, that's not half bad. <laughs>
1: it's all right. No, we 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 made it work, but I mean, what was your kind of experience? Because I that period of time, I mean, 2009 is one of the craziest years of my life. I mean, just like. Mm-hmm high highs and the lowest of lows for me mm-hmm. um and I was so focused on kind of keeping the ship t- together right just keeping yeah. it low. um I mean what what did you kind of coming into that environment I mean what was your kind of how did you feel about what was going on I mean did was it did it feel okay did it feel weird was it I mean, what was your vibe uh <sighs>
2: Hmm. A little bit of both, I guess, because I knew that there was like, I knew everything wasn't perfect. I knew there were certain stresses. There was change. I was a part of that change. I, I wanted it, but I really liked what was happening and I saw the, the potential for, for so much. And, and I thought, okay, well, if, if I can help to, to keep this together also, or, or be a part of this and, and move it forward in a positive way, this could be really great. And uh, I think we managed to do that for some time. I don't know. I don't know was it almost five years or something?
1: Yeah. Well, so you know, we had basically you came in for the European tour, mm-hmm. which went right into Mayhem Fence. May- yes. Yeah. Which was a shit show. because So essentially, you know, I've, I've, t- I've told this, the on the podcast here and there but essentially around that time we we had a devolving relationship with the band's manager at the time yep Mm -hmm. basically quit like on the first day of the tour and the tour being set up completely with no preparation so we just we didn't you know our budget was it blowing up? We didn't have enough money to afford our bus. We didn't have Mm a merch person. We didn't have a a merch tent. We didn't have enough. We didn't have enough money to order merchandise. Mm -hmm. It was just, so it was this weird thing where from the outside looking in, it looks like, Oh God forbid it's on this huge tour. And Mm -hmm. we're, you know, we have a new record out and, but it was actually kind of internally. It was the, it was the opposite. Everything was kind of imploding. And it was just, I, you know me personally I think I, I went on this like uh autopilot mm-hmm. just get through it and just almost not think about the ramp yeah Ram. yeah
2: <clears throat> yeah and it was a long tour also
1: yeah um but some somehow we did we did get get through it um but then after that I basically had a kind of meltdown mm-hmm I like life kind of just fell apart around me. And I, you know, and I, I spent maybe the next year or two, almost like putting myself back together and kind of figuring out who, who I was. Um, But, but at that, at the end of that tour, you went back to Seattle, right. Initially, did you, when did, when did you start? Like, Oh,
2: I think I went back for a short time. And then I thought, I thought, you know what? Like, this is going to work. And and, and I want to, you know, give it a hundred percent. I should just go out there. I should go to New Jersey. And yeah. I called Steve Lagudi, and 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 he was like, "Dude, just pack your bags, come here. You know, like start there." And so I started at his house, and then I just ended up staying in the Northeast.
1: Yeah, but it was this. It was just this period, basically at the end of two thousand nine, where we had split with our manager, our record deal with Central Media expired at the mm-hmm. end of 2009 so we wouldn't have a label um maybe we had a booking agent. yeah we definitely had a booking agent because we ended up doing the tour with kitty and yep and we went out with five finger mm-hmm. and in, in the beginning of, of 2010 but it was just this just a, and then i also went out with lamb of god and yep in, in 2009 so it was just so many different things and it was probably the Basically, what happened with me, and by the way, and I, I don't want to make it too much about me, but I just want to contextualize. Sure, of course. On was that everything with my brother leaving because it happened, and we just toured for six straight months, and I was just trying to like get to the next thing, and like uh-huh. I was like, transcribing music, and I was uh-huh. dealing with merch and trying to book tours and everything. But basically, I didn't really deal with emotionally. What, right had, had kind of happened. And that was part of everything that, that, that was going on. And I kind of checked out <laughs> of the band for the first time where I, for the first time since I've done, God forbid, it was the first time in my life from 2009, 2010, I thought maybe I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went on this like period of discovery and getting my sh- shit together and trying to figure out who I was and really, I would say, like, if it wasn't for you, I don't know if there would have been another record. Um, oh, okay. you know, I really believe that because there were periods where, like, I was like actually working on another project that mm-hmm. with Tommy and stuff that it, it ended up being like some of the Vegas Nerve stuff, and I was doing that, and, and you know, everyone kind of knew I, I was kind of just waffling or not. I just wasn't like excited to maybe write new music or I wasn't inspired. Yeah. And so I remember I was like away and you guys were getting together without me <laughs> and so I kind of started working on some early versions of, yeah. you know, um, and then I, I was in Florida and then I came back and since this, this, we're talking around 2010 going to 2011 kind mm-hmm. of, Grandmother died, and I was like kind of on my own. And I was, and I kind of like refocused myself. But that's around the time like me and you just started like hanging out a lot and yeah. writing together. Mm-hmm. Like was like a cool thing because you had this thing of you could you had songs that pretty much you had like completed songs like almost. I don't know if it was at the time that you had joined the band or if you had them from beforehand. Like songs that at the time, it was called Omniverse, which ended up being. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that that may
2: have come from a, an idea I had for a while, or but, but it's very common for me to write. To, I'll write a song from start to finish when I sit down. I sit down and I just finish it, and then it might not end up that way in the end. But I'll have like a complete series of parts to go to get potentially go together, and I think that's what happened there but i'm always open-minded about it like i'm just like hey this is what i'm thinking you know some people are like
1: well it's done (laughs) (laughs) not necessarily you know well listen i would say like me you know i I have to say this and i'm not trying to break my arm pat myself back but as you know i think there's definitely a path i could have taken of being like very restrictive over course Mm -hmm. putting up like this is my band bro like don't but me I was actually, because I felt like on previous records, almost like Dallas wrote less and less and I had more was on my plate. So I was actually mm-hmm. happy to kind of have more material and I, and I liked that it felt close enough that it could feel like the band, but it, it was mm-hmm. all different and it was like, oh, here's like a new pathway. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, for sure. And and honestly, my favorite songs on the record are, I think they're ones that we probably had the most collaboration on. Those are the most interesting for for me, because it's like a a melding of two different, but, you know, things that definitely work together, they work together, but they're different enough to just make it really interesting for me to listen to. Mm -hmm. I listened to the record a few days ago just just for fun, and I was like, oh, wow, this is... This is cool. You know, I I, I dig this.
1: So trying to, so here's the songs I know we wrote together. My rebirth, I think it's basically mm-hmm. like, that's like we literally that main riff that bam ba 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 like that, mm-hmm. that that riff is literally like me and you like Frankensteining apart. Yeah. Time. But that's like half and half. Conquer
2: is like That's the, my favorite one, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that one is like literally half and half. Mhm. And then, even like cornered, I feel like you. The main bit is you, and then like I kind of compiled some of the, um, like we kind of worked together with the arrangement and the bridge and kind of finished everything. But no, it was very, yeah. it was very collaborative. And even songs that were your songs, like scraping the walls or um, equilibrium. Like even what what I kind of liked about the process, which is I don't. I feel like bands probably don't do this anymore is it would be conceived in logic on a computer with you know dr- uh, fake drums things like that mm-hmm. take the song and get in a room and jam the stuff yeah. to make it feet like because i think a lot of times there's certain things that work on a recording but then when you get in a room it's like that doesn't it's not quite as powerful it's not the trans especially in like transitions, right? Because it's called like writing by cut and paste. Uh-huh. Have you ever remember a song where you write one riff and then you know you cut it and then you write the second riff, and then you realize when you try and go from riff one to riff two, mm-hmm. it's just like what
2: the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's not, it's it's not happening. It's not realistic. It's uh yeah exactly so that process that we did is is really important and i think we even spent time doing uh, specific kinds of uh, tempo mapping uh, based upon things like i remember yeah we, yeah we jam it out and then uh, and then actually the the tempo would fluctuate naturally a certain way so we would actually reproduced that uh on uh on the record
1: yeah. which is there, cool there are certain songs like a few good men and where we come from, where I remember they started off way uh, slower. Mm-hmm. And we just realized that, nah, if you want that energy, you just got to push it. So we ended yeah. up pushing the tempos where it's, they're actually really hard. To, they're much harder to play. But, oh, yeah. So it's like sometimes I, I think musicians get confused between what feels good to play and what sounds good. Yes. And sometimes it's like, oh, it feels good. I'm like, yeah, but how's it sound? It's like, and it was, especially with metal, like you want that energy and you'd always, always, even I remember with, with like a lot of the songs off of uh, uh, Gone Forever and Constitution where we would always play it faster live. And then you'd listen to the record and the record would feel like not as energetic.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's super common with heavy metal, at least to if you're not on a click track to, uh, push the tempo 10 BPM up or more. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I, I remember looking at several drummers in my career going like, seriously, dude, (laughs) slow it down, baby. I can't move that fast.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of the, the great arguments before everyone started playing to a click, which is funny because we didn't. God forbid, started playing to a click like on the last few tours. But before that, it was never, never to a click.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, in him, so I remember certain times I'd listen or compare the record to live shows. I think we were, we were like pushing it like twenty beats per minute up, and, and it, it worked. The it did work, you know. Sometimes that en- energy is just—it is what it is—and everyone's feeding off of each other. And
1: times kind of it uh,
2: Yeah, yeah. You can definitely, definitely lose all groove, or you can com- completely fall off the tracks. You know, <laughs> it can—it can become disastrous.
1: And by the way, and also I have to shout out—I had Steve Laguti on the show uh, a while back. We, we talked about this, but but you know, I think if if there's no Matt Wicklin, there's no Steve Laguti. I don't know if there's a second or a second or last God Vid album because him, he really nurtured us through the demo process uh, mm-hmm. as a band, and then we ended up using, you know, in a sense, like I said, I went through this rough period, but at a certain point in 2011, I kind of, I had found some kind of sense of self, and I was mm-hmm. kind of put all my chips in the basket and really focus on the record and once i made that choice it was really fun
2: yeah yeah i remember that yeah
1: yeah and, and we really we focused on we you know we got alex and gunter on his management and they mm-hmm. were really amazing in in terms of you know getting a good record deal and yes. it helped c- creatively you know getting the band in the in the, in, in the right space and so i think there was the band was in a healthy space leading up to e- Equilibrium, you know? And I think- yeah, yeah,
2: uh, yeah, that's right. Things started looking good, I think. And then the, the deal with Victory Records was nice. Um, yeah, they, it, yeah, it oh. felt
1: like things were, were going to work, you know, like, oh, this is, is going to be OK. <laughs> no, listen, I think Listen, I think just what happened is ultimately where the band, what the band needed to do, right, which was essentially I think, you know, Godfrey put a record out in 2005. Mm-hmm. And then waited till 2009 to put out another record, which hurt the band. And then 09, mm-hmm. the- 012, and that hurt the band. Just and by the time, you know, if you're doing one kind of style and you're in one genre, and six, seven years pass, it's a whole new environment, and you yep. have to kind of recalibrate. And we kind of realized, oh, we need to like rebuild the band. And kind of you know just slowly reintroduce the band, so slowly reintroduce the who the band was, and that amount of work it would have taken, I just don't think we were set up uh, mentally and at the mm-hmm. of our lives where we had the wherewithal to do it with the amount of money we were making.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's,
1: uh... You know, we were being. Re- re- responsible finally on tour where, where we were not paying ourselves to the end of the tour. And mm-hmm. we, did, you know, we, we did that overkill tour. And then we did the the five finger, the trespass America. Mm-hmm. Tour. And we were, you know, we, we were coming home with like 200 bucks a week or something. And it's just, you just can't live on that when you're, you know, I was at that point, the youngest dude in the band, but even me, I was like, and I, at a certain point we came home from that tour the the I think the Shadows Fall tour the last tour we did mm-hmm. and I was homeless like I literally didn't I didn't have anywhere to go and it was kind of a yeah
2: <laughs> coming yeah.
1: moment for me where I was like listen guys I need to get off the road and and I think but I but even though I was the one to do that I think other guys in the band were also going through their own things they just weren't maybe they just didn't have the vocabulary to express it. Mm-hmm. Where, where 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 they were at but um you know ultimately you know i quit the band you know in 2013 i mean where what was your reaction and kind of like were you, was that something you were prepared for or um uh, well
2: kind of like i could see that maybe it was coming i was hoping that it wouldn't but like i wasn't entirely surprised um I was bummed out for sure but then i i thought well you know he's got to do what he's got to do and i want you know i want everybody to to be happy of course um so then i guess it's just sort of lucky timing at that exact same time christopher amott had moved to uh to philly and had connected with me and like you know hey what are you doing you know what are you doing now i'm like well and like well uh, i mean i can't remember the exact time but i think that's around the time that it was starting to disintegrate or fall apart or whatever <clears throat> so i after god forbid stopped playing i just continued playing with uh, with chris so there was kind of a there was really no period where i, I didn't play at all i just started playing with chris and uh I went to Tokyo with him, backed him up with, with Van Williams for his solo uh, record. We did uh, played Loud Park Festival, which was a great experience. It was weird because we spent more time flying than we did hanging out in Tokyo. We flew to Tokyo, went to sleep, got up, played a show, and went home. Jesus, that was crazy. And and that that was actually when that huge hurricane came and hit New York. I don't remember what it was called, but. Yeah, yeah. We were on the last flight into uh, Newark Airport before they shut it down, coming home. And uh, so then Chris and I actually started writing songs together, and then we started what became Ghost Ship Octavius, which was my next band, uh, with with Van Williams as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so the, well, one of the funny things about that is I remember some of the songs that ended up being on the ghost ship album were stuff you would actually like pitch to God forbid before mm-hmm. either like, like the next, next record or stuff at the, the tail end mm-hmm. of, of equilibrium. And, but I remember hearing it when I, with the vocals, mm-hmm. with um, Adone's vocals and was like, Oh, like it sounds so much better to me when you have someone who pr- kind of properly knows what to do with it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It fit the music. It it did, yeah. Adon is a really talented singer, for sure.
1: Yeah, um, but no, I mean, so what was the, so the concept around Ghost Ship Octavius? Because I remember when you first started telling me about it with like, the, I guess the lore behind behind it, and and the, the makeup and kind of this kind of, yeah. Where did all that stuff come from?
2: Uh, I was sitting. See if I remember correctly. Oh yeah. Okay. So originally just kind of step back just for a second. Chris and I were going to start Armageddon again and Armageddon is a band. He, I was never a part of it, but he'd done several records and they all sound quite different, but um, he's like, we'll just do Armageddon. And then I'm like, okay, okay. But then he said like, no, no, let's, let's come up with a new name. And I'm like, okay. So I did the thing that every musician loves to do is come up with a new band name. You you sit there, try to think of all Oh, it's, it's a nightmare. So I had pages and pages of stuff uh, of ideas. Nobody liked anything. So frustrated. I went sat at, at the computer on YouTube and I just, I'm just starting to look through things I I'm interested in, which is like paranormal aliens, ghost story, you know, ghost stories, all this stuff. And somehow I wound up on some things speaking about uh, ghost ship stories, but there was so much interesting visual stuff going on. And like, I, it, it just, it just came into my mind. I was like, wait a minute, I could totally work with this. You know, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be different, but I think it could be cool. And I called Van told him, Van's got a really vivid imagination and he starts coming on board with it and and next thing you know we got the ideas for the makeup and the stories and and I, I'm like okay I guess we got a, a, a band you know which which ship are we going to pick <laughs> there's all sorts of different ships with different names so I said my favorite was the ghost ship Octavius and everyone's like oh my god that's a mouthful <laughs> and I'm like I'm like yeah it is but it's cool you know I don't care let's let's do it so we we did it. and initially Chris was in the band. Uh, me, Chris Van, and at the time Chris's wife Sarah, she was playing bass. And, and we started uh, holding auditions and we got a, a response from a 17 year old Adone Fanion. And we didn't know his age, but we, we just heard him and we are like, my God, this guy sounds like Dio but with or Jolyn Turner would but with like a deeper voice, you know. This guy's amazing. So we call him up. Well, we get him on video. He's <laughs> 17-year-old boy face, you know. Like, oh, aye, aye, aye. what are we going to do? And, and Chris said, he said, fuck it. Let's fly him out here, see if he can hang, you know. So we did. And he was all nervous and it was awkward. But we got him in the sound booth to record some demos, and he just nailed everything. So I looked over at Chris. And I'm like, you know, should we do it? He's like, yeah, let's let's do it. And then Chris quit like (laughs) a few days later. A few days. (laughs) I think it was within a week or two, if I remember correctly.
1: Well, it's what I want to see. I feel like I just need to get Chris on the show because, you know, it seems like since he originally left uh, Arch Enemy back in the day, it's kind of like he's been in the public eye, out of the public eye, doing Mm -hmm. stuff, and and not not really doing stuff. I mean. You know, I don't want to speak too much on on, on his, his behalf but um, yeah. you know you would know, you kind of mention that it was just it seemed to be a very unpredictable scenario even maybe before that. Yeah
2: I, I mean I mean I can't speak entirely for him of course, but from what I what I witnessed is, it looks like maybe he wasn't sure what direction he wanted to go in at the time yeah um we had talked about going full death metal and then we were going to go like super melodic and it just seemed like he wasn't sure yeah. and yeah so it was fair enough pre- fair enough reasons yeah i think yeah i think it was cre- a creative well sometimes it felt like we were on the same page and then it felt like sometimes going totally different directions. Yeah. It was unpredictable. It was, it was hard to, it was really hard to make something happen, I suppose. Um, but Chris is, he's still one of my, he actually Chris is my favorite guitar player. Number one, when it comes to like his skills, his tone, his phrasing, it's like everything. He's the guy for me. And so I have nothing but respect for uh, for him, and even respect for the fact that maybe at the time he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. Yeah, and I think maybe that had to do with why he quit Arch Enemy too. Perhaps I'm not sure, but but maybe.
1: Listen, it's as someone who kind of achieved some amount of success, kind of later, and something that was a bit more stable. I think there's there is a kind of encroaching fear. I think sometimes when you have a band that's successful enough Mm -hmm. where you do it full time, where it's, it also feels like a trap trapping as well. Cause you're like, my life going to be, yeah, whatever, seven to nine months out of the year, putting a record out every two years. And it's a thing that either you're cool with being on that kind of hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. Like it's what I'm saying. It's the downside of success sometimes is that it is a, there's a monotony to that lifestyle that some people just, they don't want to be on the road that much, or they don't, you know, it's, you know, there's an instability to that lifestyle and kind of, it's just physically taxing. It's mentally taxing. It's
2: uh yeah, for sure.
1: Being around maybe just there's personalities in the band that you're like, Oh, I have to be around this person for the next 20 years. I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm okay with this. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of course it, it it's hard all, all around. The lifestyle is definitely not for everyone, e- even for many people that are stuck in it yeah. for, for a long, long time. I've seen a lot of very successful musicians that seem like they might be miserable. <laughs> you know, it, it looks like it could be true.
1: Yeah. Um, you have to, I don't know, it's, it's almost like you spend your whole life trying to achieve the one thing, Mm-hmm. And then you get there, and they realize you're not happy. It's like this, you know, like like yeah. That's that's a thing p- some people have to kind of kind of figure out, you know. Because if you're Chris Amott, right, like how many metal guitar players would kill to be an archenemy who has had one of the more steady and solid careers? I think of yeah, almost any extreme type metal band. I mean, they've had a really consistent career
2: yes they 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 certainly have yeah yeah but they they work hard they they tour a lot they no for, for how long now 20, 25 years
1: hey, even angela got sick of it
2: yeah yeah it's true it's true but i think michael's like he's die hard you know he's, he's in it to win it forever and he's he's very smart good businessman uh, great guitarist, he's got what it takes.
1: Yeah. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit more about Ghost Ship Octavius because, mm-hmm. in many ways, we we went our separate ways, where we're doing similar things, where we're trying to start new projects and mm-hmm. things off the ground, and so in many ways, I can uh, totally relate to the process. But what what was it like for you? trying to kind of go through that ringer of starting something from scratch because it's so, it's like pushing, you know, the, the boulder up the mountain. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, for us, it was pushing an old ancient ship up a, up a mountain. It was not easy and nobody wanted to hear the crazy idea I had. Yeah. A lot of, I, I sent it to all the labels and they always were like, yeah, the musicianship's amazing, but I don't know if I can sell this. <laughs> you know, it was, they, they didn't, they didn't get it. And then, uh, but the people that did get it, they were like, well, like, wow, this is amazing. This is genius, you know, but it was hard. It was really hard to find the right team of, of people that, that understood it. Um, you know, some people would say like, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it, but no makeup, got to change this, change that. And I'd say, no, 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 no. Then the whole idea is stupid. (laughs) <laughs> you know like we would make it snow on stage when we play and stuff like like we really we, we tried to make it an experience for the audience where they you know you feel like you were actually in some frozen place with a bunch of you know phantasms <laughs> or something <laughs> so that, and that was fun for me and and van too and and but uh yeah start starting a band especially like when you're starting to get older too and and, and if you're doing something weird that's, that's almost impossible yeah that's not, that's not an easy thing to do um
1: especially when people live in different places And
2: oh yeah like we had everything going against us
1: yeah.
2: but i knew that we had something cool and the me I, I thought the music was really um kind of special i felt like i had the best singer i could find in the world and the best drummer in the world i, I mean van williams is he's my favorite drummer for sure um so i'm like we can't we can't lose you know people are going to think we're nuts but somebody's going to work with us
1: so listen i you guys did the crowdfunding for the first record which did, did well mm-hmm. and you know yeah. Get, i i I think both records just they sound great. The songs are great. Um, thank you. You guys have done, you know, some like short kind of tours and festival appearances and stuff like that. I mean, uh-huh. was the goal to kind of do a get on the road full time and you just couldn't make it happen or was the goal always to kind of just do kind of fit it in where you where you where you can? Um I don't I don't
2: know. It, it... It was day to day. Like we knew we wanted to just keep move, moving up and we weren't sure exactly what, what that would mean. Um, we just, we were excited about every opportunity we were given and we could see there was growth and we could see people were really passionate about it. So we just kept, you know, it was going day to day. Like what's, what do we do today? We got some shows. We got, we started getting like, we got like Prague power, usa prog power europe um yeah like i don't know it, it, it's weird because it lasted for about seven years but it feels like it was just like just one
1: you know well that's a, as you get older like longer periods of time feel shorter yeah, yeah. From the perspective it's of your
2: life like reverse time time dilation <laughs> it's, it's awful don't get old, people. <laughs> I
1: actually do, do, but I don't know. No, it, yeah. Well, but but listen, I mean, this industry is is so hard, and which is why, for example, what happened with Bad Wolves is so it it is the rarity, you know, where yeah myself who have we're in one band and then we're in another band, and it for it to hit in kind of a, a certain way is. Mm-hmm. Is not easy to do. And certainly, no. me leaving God forbid it was not my expectation that any particular thing I would do would become blank, right? Because I think right, right. when you're in my position, or your position, it's like, oh, it's just easier to join someone else's band and not have... Yeah, it's
2: way, thing. way easier. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. But, but subsequently, like I said, now you're in Sophia and that, you know, essentially... I don't want to tell your story but uh do you want to talk about how that ultimately happened
2: oh yeah like how the hell did i get uh, away the hell over here um i met a woman and started uh started chatting and you know for uh, several months maybe three three months at least and i thought you know, I thought, well, if, if I'm going, I was in Seattle and she was here. And I thought, well, if, if this is going to be real, I have to do something about it. Like, I'm not just going to chat with, for 10 years and, you know, let's make, make it happen. So I said, I'm, I'm I'm coming to Bulgaria. And and for someone like me and you, we travel so much. That's not really that big of a deal, right? <laughs> go, any, go anywhere. <laughs> so I got a plane ticket, came to Sofia and uh, basically never left.
0: Yeah. And Did you get married? Had
2: a ki- yeah. hmm Yep. Got married, had a kid. Yeah, and and now I speak Bulgarian. I eat crazy food. And...
1: Crazy food? Like what's what's what, what kind of crazy food are we talking about?
2: Oh, let's see. Wow. Oh. So oof. one night I I went to Baba's house, Baba means grandma, <laughs> and Baba somehow got the idea that I had this uh, this love for liver and chicken hearts right okay. and so she I'm like, I don't know where she got this idea from, <laughs> but she served me a plate with a, like a foot tall of just fried chicken hearts, and that that was a real difficult thing to get through you just you just. Uh, just, I, mean, I just I just powered through that plate because yeah. I don't want to disappoint Grandma, you know.
1: I mean, if you say so, I I maybe I'd be like, oh, I have a couple bites. Oh, I'm so full. <laughs>
2: I'm so full. No, they they don't take that here. They say yash. Yash means eat, but they say it with power. Yash, okay. <laughs> yash, and then you're eating, and they look at you and they say, what's what's wrong with you? You're not eating, but your mouth is full. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't like it. So yeah, the, dinner time's really a big deal here. Big part of the culture
1: what is it actually like because i mean they're a former soviet bloc country right yeah uh uh-huh and um i mean is it a is it a poorer country is it democratic what's the what's what's the vibe just
2: yeah it's it's, i guess like most of europe is so somewhat socialized democracy um social democracy uh the vibe is well, like Sofia is a very modern city, yeah. and it's got everything. It's a huge city. it's million, millions of people here. I don't know how many exactly, but it's, it's big. Uh, I mean, we got everything everyone else has. But, but for example, uh, the average monthly income here is 1,500 leva, which equates to about $800.
1: And how far does that go, though? Is, that, is that,
2: It you- goes... It would go about as far as fifteen hundred dollars would go in in a month. So it's like,
1: not that's not enough to live on in America.
2: But imagine the prices are. Imagine you had to. Yeah. So people, their lifestyles, they're they're like a lot more uh, resourceful, Uh, and and people dress like a million dollars here, especially especially the women. You know, they they're just head to toe perfect. But then you realize they don't have much money. It doesn't make sense, but it's because they take care of what they have. They respect what they have and like have to prioritize things differently. So it was a big, it's a big change for me and in in a really positive way, because it made me reflect on things as an American about like how I grew up and how I look at the world and how maybe how wasteful I had become.
1: Yeah
2: like now when i come home i polish my shoes and you know make sure everything's all nice before i'd be like yeah these are old in the trash get some new ones
1: yeah no we're we're you know what i mean we're consumer culture we're uh, i mean it's right. about about myself like i'm a i'm a probably a bad environmentalist in that i'm i'm very much like that's right keep it keep it moving um mm-hmm. but no i listen that's uh i mean do do sometimes you ever reflect how different you are than most people that like most people literally die within like 20 miles from when where they were born
2: yeah Yeah. that's true
1: kind of are you do you think you're more adventurous or brave than most people or or you're just crazy
2: (laughs) yeah yeah i was thinking which which word do we choose brave that sounds good or maybe it's more idiotic stupid You're, you're
1: a risk taker of some some degree
2: yeah like like I, well i guess for sure big time um but i think if you're afraid of things in life you, you're never going to experience anything really you really never ex- experience the potential that, that life has to offer you for me i see the world as constant like doors opening everywhere and sometimes i just run through them
1: so you how know? so so kind of the you know big thing we haven't really talked about is, um, how has fatherhood changed your, your life and your your perspective?
2: Uh, a lot for sure. I mean, that's probably not too surprising, but, um, yeah, when you see a little you, it, it changes you for sure. And then you have that understanding that like, Oh boy, I can't, I can't be so selfish anymore. I have to, like, I got to think about him first and, but it's amazing though. It, yeah. It changed me in a, a very good way. Um, it made me get really serious because like in the past, I, I, everything was music and I'm like, yeah, I do I got $10 in my wallet, whatever, make it work, you know, figure it out. I'll go bartend one night, make a couple hundred bucks and I'll get through the week, whatever. But now that's not going to work. So, um, and it, it, the whole thing the birth of my child and everything really coincided with the, uh, with the pandemic basically around the same time. He's two, he's two and a half years old, but as I'm coming into fatherhood and I've got a baby now all of a sudden the world changes and I'm thinking, okay, well, the thing that I used to do before all the time that really wasn't paying enough is kind of gone for the foreseeable future so i'm not going to be able to rely on that at all to take care of my child so i thought oh my god what am i going to do well somehow like a miracle through uh playing the the gigs with uh with ghost ship octavius i met this guy he, he was every like every show he played he was on seventy thousand tons of metal he was at Prague power he was at in seattle he's in new york and i'm like What's up with this dude? He's like everywhere. I end up talking to him and it, it turns becoming friends with him. And then it turns out he's the CEO of a very large computer, but fairly large computer company, UCLA. They do speedtest.net. You know, everyone's measuring the internet speed on their phones and all over the world. Right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, see, they've got 30, uh, 36 billion tests to date. Like, like the whole world's using this to measure everything and corporations to uh, whatever. So I found out that my new buddy is the CEO of this this company, and I didn't I called him one day or like when I had this realization like I've got a kid to take care of and the music industry's on its you know on its tits, it's all fucked up or whatever. I said, I didn't ask for a job. I said, Hey, his name's Doug. He's one of the nicest guys in the world. I said, Hey, Doug, what what do I do? Like, can you give me some advice? You're a smart, successful man. I need some advice. And he's like, well, tell me about your interests and this and that. I'm like, well, I love computers and uh, I have a real interest in software and programming. He said, okay, learn this, this, and this. And then when you've learned it, call me. So, I spent the first part of the whole pandemic, which uh, first eight months of it, locked in a room, essentially 15 hours a day studying computer programming.
1: What did you, did you like sign up to a school that you paid for or just, or you just found resources?
2: Uh, uh, mostly uh, Udemy courses. Okay. Yeah. Which were awesome. And they're, they're advertised to be, you know, like $200 or whatever, but then every few days it goes down to 1399. Somehow. Oh. <laughs> so now, yeah, so just grab them up when they, they go down to 13 bucks, whatever. Yeah. And I, I educated myself and then uh, called him back. I'm like, all right, I'm ready. And I don't know if he was expecting that to happen. So he's like, uh, hold on a minute. <laughs> you know, so lucky for me he created an internship program within the whole company because uh, because of it cuz he can't just hire his friends like just cuz he wants to you know So he got me into the internship program that he just created which is awesome because now we're getting more people to come in and and, and stuff and I had to spend 6 months proving myself Wow So now now I yeah from from heavy metal rock and roll star to nice. software engineer nerd
1: yeah, and but I mean, it's you know, it's, it's funny because when I picture you doing the, taking the courses and learning that, mm-hmm. that's exactly what you did. Like, you people listen to this don't get this. When, when <laughs> Matt would have a solo, right, that he'd demo, mm-hmm. I mean, months before, but then it was like actually time to do the record. You just sit there, I'd here in a room, working on the same part and I mean, for hours and hours. I mean, so yeah. that he had done, but he wanted it to be better and he wanted to play it better. And you have yeah. that ability to kind of focus on something and just work it and work it and work it. And I imagine, I don't, well, actually, what well, you can tell me is that, does it, is that the same type of focus that you can apply to other disciplines?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly. I have the ability for some reason to hyper focus on things for unlimited time. Basically, as long as I'm awake, I could, oh yeah, I could play the same solo for 12 hours and not be <laughs> not be bored with it. For example, I did, uh I was recording some solos at home on for the first, no, no, the second Ghost Ship Octavius record. I did 500 takes <laughs> of the same solo, <laughs> and I'm not
1: joking. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. See, I need, I need, I like, I like, I can focus, but I definitely don't have it like, like you do. I'm a, I'm a bit more, I guess, ca- cavalier in my, like, ah. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, I, 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 I love that, and I, and I think it's emblematic of the idea that you know, when one thing, you know, I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting skewed in my, my oh, that's, all, that's all right. One thing I've always noticed about you is you've always been very adaptable, like that people realize that even when we're in a band like God forbid, and it's like we shot that video for where we come from, where it's showing us all working our jobs, that being in a, even in a sign band or a band that tours, we all have to figure out other ways to make income. And we always all have to be, like you said, what you loved about New York is like, you got to hustle, you got to grind. Like Oh yeah. And you have that mentality of being able to kind of in a sink or swim moment figure out how to stay afloat and adapt and learn new skills and that's yeah you know, that's i think a real notch on your belt that you're able to do that and i think you should oh, be thank proud of yeah, you
2: thank you thank you yeah i was selling uh i was selling vintage toys in new york city on the street well not just on the street but but yeah, yeah, I had to adapt through my, the people I knew and whatever. I found an opportunity to make money, so I spent I spent years while we were not on tour, like selling, uh, you know, cabbage patch kids and you know, and like uh, GI Joe figures from the nineteen eighties on the eBay and stuff.
1: Oh, so you make was, a lot of money doing that.
2: Was, yeah, I had no no idea. It's actually a crazy world, the collectors' world. It's nuts.
1: My friend. I- I have a friend who makes hundreds of thousands of dollars just selling Star Wars. Uh Like he'll buys bulk, like so Mm -hmm. someone will have a a bunch of stuff, and he'll like I'll buy it for thirty grand. Mm -hmm. He'll sell that for three hundred grand, but he'll sell it individually, right? He'll buy it in bulk and then Mm -hmm. and then
2: that's exactly what i was doing i wasn't the guy with the money though my friend was i was helping him move the product and he he has and he lives in manhattan he has over 10 million dollars worth of uh, collectibles and merchandise and just spends all day selling just selling it and then then he goes and buys more he's like a and he's got like warehouse space filled with you know every child's dream from 1960 to present day you go in there it's insane oh, yeah. you know got you got and stuff in the box still from the 60s 70s it's crazy hey, go, go but go. The, my favorite part is you get these guys you know some guy in his 50s that's all disheveled like just all greasy and dirty and whatever you know having this that look in his eyes when he when he sees this toy that he, He's been lusting after for 30 years it's just it's very odd
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh well i mean nostalgia is a, uh, a powerful drug <laughs> yeah
2: i guess so <laughs> yeah yeah they, i mean the only thing i go crazy over in, in a material way i guess is is guitars still yeah I, I still i guess i get that look in my eyes when i uh i see a certain guitar
1: like, wow i i finally have a comparison
2: i saw that yeah oh yeah that, oh good
1: i love it i'm I'm really good friends with uh with gabe out here I hang out with mm-hmm. him quite a, quite a bit shout out Gabriel from 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 comparison um yes he's a good guy yes uh you have a new band mm-hmm can you can you pronounce it because i don't want to embarrass myself saying it improperly. I think I know how it's pronounced, but I...
2: I... I actually, I think I have to make it up right now because I never said it before. I just typed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's supposed to be a polyon. Oh, yeah, and it's something that... The spelling is probably totally incorrect for that pronunciation, but it's... Okay, the, the singer's name is Polina Saichaya. She's uh, from uh, Central Russia. And she wanted to have a band called Apollyon for, for years. But then we discovered there's already a couple out there with some success, whatever. So she was, you know, kind of disappointed, like, ah, shit, what are we going to do? And I said, well, let's just flip a couple letters around, you know, (laughs) or maybe add one, you know, do the AE thing that everybody does. That's cool. That's metal.
1: Pretty. it's pretty, it's, It's pretty metal. So is, is ghost ship done?
2: No, no, it's on pause because uh, our our singer Adon uh, decided to quit at, after uh, it was like a year, a year ago after our second uh, appearance on Seventy Thousand Tons of Metal. So yeah, he just
1: that that adventure made him want to quit.
2: It was right right beforehand, but then he had agreed to do that as like the I think that was the final show.
1: Seventy so, thousand is a lot of fun though.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. Amazing. <laughs> but I think I got COVID on that boat, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I think that was like right when COVID started, but it was just hitting the news. But Van was and Van and I were sharing a room and he was just coughing his balls off like all it? night,
1: January 2020,
2: right? This was January. Yeah. And it, it kind of hit the news and everything more towards, well, right, I guess the end of January. And then, then it started becoming a problem in April or something. But but yeah we were i mean it was in- inevitable when we in a small cabin with a guy coughing like, yeah. like crazy all over me i got sick too but i was all screwed up for months
1: so yeah so you-
2: i probably had you know maybe a, maybe van maybe van was the first guy in america to <laughs> <laughs> to who knows and i was number 2
1: well there but are some theories that it actually was in America in like November, December. So there's, you know, there's a, uh-huh. lot of, a lot of information I'm not the CDC, so don't listen to me. Uh
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it, it was COVID. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was awful. Yeah.
1: no dude, I had it. It fucking was terrible. Um, oh, you
2: did. Yeah.
1: Oh, and my girlfriend, way worse than me. It was terrible. Uh I do not recommend it and she she has like still has lung problems and her, she talked to her doctor and his doctor's like, yeah, that may never go away forever for the rest of your life. I'm like, oh, yeah, great disease. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, awful. So now, you know, you, you know, you have a kind of a new career, you know, it seems it has mm-hmm. some growth of a really good company, but you're still making music. Uh, I mean, how does music sit in your life kind of uh, with, a new you have a completely different life now um yeah how does it is it just something that you feel like you'll write music and record music but maybe not really tour or is it just something that you know you haven't really totally figured out yet um
2: a little bit of both but because i had to dive in so hard to you know to get to this point and and establish myself as a software engineer now and but now that I'm comfortable yeah I'm feeling like okay now I can start playing guitar a bit more and and um but a cool thing about this this kind of work is it's 100% remote
1: yeah that's awesome
2: um it pays very well uh
1: I'm just asking for some too, so that's good
2: yeah yeah no, no problem man. anybody want to <laughs> talk to talk to me no but it's it's like uh it's kind of like an amazing career path for for anyone who's on the on the fence thinking about it who might be listening uh yeah i recommend it of course it's fun every day is new and exciting whatever getting off topic but um but i, I believe if i play my cards right i could do both but probably not like I probably can't tour six months out of the year or something like that. Probably not. But at the, I also don't want to. Yeah. Not not anymore. It's not really interesting to me anymore. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep uh, releasing records, and I, I'm going to play live. Um, and I, I really would like to just do a lot of you know, festival appearances if possible. Um, and living in Europe now, that's that's kind of easy. An easier thing to do um providing that people want to hear the, the music um i'm just happy being in a creative place and if i can keep releasing records and b- being a composer and playing guitar and, and then also software engineer then i'm happy yeah i don't really have much of a desire to to play yeah every single night months on end a- anymore i'm 43 now and yeah and like you know i got my kid and so i'm trying it's trying to balance it somehow because i I can't stop being a musician that's just you can't just turn that off you know that's and i don't want to turn that off but i think it just has to pivot into something that fits within the boundaries of my responsibilities and uh and whatnot
1: yeah just uh this is out of curiosity uh, where is Bulgaria right now currently with like COVID? Is it like open or there? Are it's, things- uh,
2: <sighs> it's almost like it doesn't exist. The numbers are super low and I, I'm, I'm suspecting we've reached herd immunity. I, it, it's, I don't know. I need to do some actual research, but it seems like almost everyone I talked to has had it
1: Yeah,
2: or they're vaccinated.
1: Okay. Have or, you or like is it available? Uh, it is available, and I haven't been. Yeah. Because uh, I know but, some of the yeah. countries, it was the rollout was like slower than like.
2: Yeah. You now here it became readily available. You have your choice between Pfizer or Moderna or uh, AstraZeneca and maybe even the Russian variant. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but. Sputnik V. Sputnik, yeah.
1: Um. So are there? because, like I said, you kind of went there at the heart of this. I mean, are, have you seen like metal shows or anything like that there, or like kind of engaged in that community at all?
2: Just last weekend, the first time. Yeah, there's there's a really popular band here called Ahat, and it's it's Bulgarian only. They sing in Bulgarian.
1: Yeah, it's metal
2: though. Yeah, but they're they're like old school. They sound kind of like Rainbow okay or, or something like this they're really good and it's just fate i suppose i where i ch- chose to live my neighbor is the singer and he's the most famous rock star basically in in this country you know Funny. and I, I became friends with him didn't even realize he just was like ponytail guy like rocker dude and he was cool and, and next next thing i know i'm like i'm like wait a minute Going to the, you go to the grocery store, you hear his songs like everywhere. I'm like this guy's really popular, you know. <laughs> he called me last weekend and said, "Hey," do you, said, "Hey, do you want to come uh, out to the city, a couple hours away? We're going to play." They had a full orchestra. Like it was, it was amazing. So that my first rock show was seeing my my buddy, his name is Zvez- Zvezdi, uh, seeing him play, and that, that was something so in a let's see september 15th uh, joe lynn turner's coming here to do uh some stuff with his my friends Vesdi's band and i'm going to play guitar for it so, oh, wow. so so i get to play with joe lynn turner baby see? that's good that's gonna be fun
1: matt wickland always lands on his feet man you know, <laughs> where, where you put him he's gonna, he's gonna he's gonna end up on stage with a with legend of some kind
2: and <laughs> yeah. I, I feel lucky it, it, the way that it came to be it, was, it seems quite random but it's uh it is what it is and i'm going to do it so
1: yeah but do you, but do you believe i feel like me and you we would often talk about kind of like our philosophy on the world and mm-hmm. like that and you know i think you align with me where you kind of feel like the energy you put out is what you kind of get back
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I, I believe it. Yeah, there is some kind of magic, if you will, in the universe. And I think something Warrel Dane taught me a long time ago. He said, "Matthew talent attracts talent." That was something that stuck in my mind. He's like, "You don't worry. This, you know, you're always going to find the people that you need." And I'm like, "Really?" But but it kind of pr- proved to be true somehow. Like without trying, I end up meeting the, uh, all the right people. It's weird. You know, it goes into that whole idea about like the secrets and all that stuff, but maybe there's something to it. Sure feels like it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there is, you know, a, a repeating theme, and it's not necessarily with the people I have on this show, but something I talk about on the show is how many bitter people come out of our scene, people who, mm-hmm maybe have some success and then lose success and they, they stick with kind of, they only kind of count their losses. and Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It's just like, it it takes a certain kind of spirit to go, Hey, this didn't work out, but that's cool. I'll do the next thing. And I'll, you know, you know, taking it in, in a certain amount of stride and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've never, you know, you, you seem to have a kind of spirit of like, you know i think you you love just music in its purest form so much and Mm -hmm. playing it and composing it that it's like you're almost protected from all the bullshit around it yeah yeah
2: i think i think yeah i agree because no matter what i still have that same burning that same fire for like it, it if something with a band doesn't work out, I still, the fire inside of me is the same. It hasn't changed. So yeah. I, I just have to, I just wind up somewhere else. And then that fire starts burning, <laughs> you know, and spreading. But it's, it's,
1: and that's okay, I think. I don't know. Well, that yeah. listen, that fire inspired me at a time when I really needed it, you know, and I don't know if I ever got to thank you Directly, I'm sure we did. You know, Drunken Many Nights hug. Oh, yeah, yeah, I of you, course. <laughs>
2: love you, man. Of
1: course. Thank you, man. Uh, but no, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll say it again uh, for this. And it's again, you know, you were there at a time when I needed, right? The talent, right. Talent or inspiration, mm. interest, you know, and that mm-hmm. was, and it's, and it's really fundamental. It's, and it's part of, you know, your story is part of my story. Um, yeah. <clears throat> And it's uh, I'm getting, I'm getting choked up a little here too. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and it's and it's just listen, it's just a, a, a beautiful thing. Uh, mm-hmm. this this thing that we do, and we, you know, we were in a situation that ultimately didn't work out, was difficult, but it's to me, it's just the building blocks, and it's something. Listen, we did something that record that we, I think, we can be proud of. I agree. I definitely agree. You know, I mean, 100. And I don't know if it got the attention it deserves or maybe the you know the the mass kind of whatever but it is something like i can say with the band like we put 100 into it mm-hmm. gave it our all um and and i think it it it, it reflects that whether people are like like it or not and so i think it's it's fucking cool
2: it is it, and i i look back on all of it it's, it's some of my uh best memories and greatest experiences I've had uh, thus far in my life. So yeah, no regrets. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Like all the hundred,
1: 110%. Right on.
2: Super cool. Well,
1: listen, Matt, I love you, brother.
2: Love it's you been, too,
1: man. Been too long. Um, I'm really glad uh, you took your time uh, to do this and talk about everything. And uh, yeah, man, just all the, all the best of luck to everything. And uh, you know, always, you know, support of everything you do musically and just whatever, man, just to uh, stay in touch, brother. I, pre- I re- just really appreciate
2: it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I, yeah, I, I appreciate you just the same and for the opportunities you've given given me in my life and everything. So um, we need to speak more. Let's stay in touch for sure. All
1: right, man, you take care. I love you, brother. Take care. Love you too. Bye-bye. Peace. So that track is entitled Saturnine and it's from Ghost Ship Octavius's most recent album which came out in 2018, named the album is Delirium. Very cool track, very cool band, you get to hear Matt's exceptional craftsmanship as a songwriter and guitar player on display in that track, that's a, that's a really cool one. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation because listening back to it, it's, uh, it, it, was, it was just really nice. You know, uh, life, man, is so, it's longer than you think sometimes. And you have these people, especially when you're in, in a band or you make something together and you get close and life again, brings you apart. And then you kind of reflect on some of those, the, those moments and all kind for me, at least it came flooding back in a, in a really positive way and uh special I, lo- I love matt and it's uh and I, and I wish him well and it seems like he's doing he's doing r- really really well I'm like yo i need to learn how to code i want some of that coding money but 15 hours a day i don't know if i could do it y'all your boy don't have that kind of concentration i think i think we already talked about that but yeah but then, anyway that was that was a very very fun conversation and uh yeah i'm, I'm trying to grind and, and get some cool guests for you guys coming up i'm Trying to keep it fresh, trying to keep it within the realm of stuff I think the audience is, is into. I got a lot of great feedback about last week's episode with Justin Archangel. People really seem to enjoy the industry, behind the scenes stuff, and so I'm going to try and work on that. I want to keep it balanced, Try not make it too repetitive on here, but I'm really having fun, fun with it. Like I said, I got a little backed up with episodes, but now... I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm gonna plan it. But i I like I said, I don't like to talk about the. <laughs> I don't want to mention the the interviews before they happen, so I don't I don't jinx them. I'm supposed to do like three interviews this week, which put me in a, in a pretty good spot. So, but overall, some good things happened in the Bad Wolves camp coming up, and that's cool. I've been working on music, working on my production, home production stuff, and just being creative. So, despite being hungover from being hungover today, and and feeling the ass whooping that that is hopefully tomorrow you don't get eat healthy gonna be healthy and make it happen all right all right that's what i said hope you guys are watching the nba finals we had a very cool first game suns look good i think the suns are gonna win but i was like okay once the playoffs are over then i actually have time to be a productive human being because i was watching a lot of basketball i wasn't doing shit except watching basketball And, but then we have the Olympics like a few weeks after the finals. So going to be watching that too, but it it will not be quite as consuming. I got to figure out what the time difference with Japan. I don't know, but I got to watch team America. Hopefully they don't lose. They lost to France in uh, 2018 with a diminished squad. So we'll, we'll see. I'll I'll cross my fingers anyway. Love y'all and mama out.
0: This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurwitz,